Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. If you can find the courage to express what you want, rejection is your protection. know if if he's my husband but I know that I want to keep talking to him I know I want to see him again I know that you know this is somebody I want to know and that was different for me it's us taking charge and, and being open about the fact that a relationship is part of that welcome you are tuned into monuments to me brought to you by revolt This podcast is a space for honest and relevant conversations meant to recharge Black women and inspire you on your journey. We're your hosts, Akilah Friend and Ty McRae, and each week we'll be addressing a range of topics from self-care, entrepreneurship, to politics and relationships. Join us as we explore the ups and downs and bask in the joys of Black womanhood. Welcome back to this protected space. This is Monuments to Me, brought to you by Revolt. We're your hosts. I'm Akila Friend. I'm Ty McRae. And welcome to another episode. Okay, welcome. Welcome back. Today we're here to talk about what seems to be a never-ending theme because it's so important to just everyday life. That's relationships. And specifically, we're talking about dating. We are joined by two of Fabulous guests who are doing their thing in the relationship space, entrepreneurship space, podcasting space. Demona and Coriel, welcome to Monuments to Me. Just give a give the audience a quick overview about who you are. I'll go first. Hi, I'm Demona Hoffman. I'm a dating and relationship coach. I've been in the game over 15 years. I actually met my husband online. We just celebrate our 15th anniversary, and I've been helping people find love ever since. And now I do it on my podcast, Dates and Mates, and uh, on the Drew Barrymore Show, where I'm the official love expert. And I also work with the OkCupid dating app as their official dating coach in the U.S. Yeah, we're going to have to talk after this. (laughs) No, we're talking now, actually. We're talking now. Okay, period. (laughs) Hello, everyone. I am Coriel. I am the founder of the Single Wives Club, which is a self-help organization, relationship readiness organization for single women preparing to become wives. I also have the pleasure of hosting the Girls Stop Playing podcast, where I encourage Black women to stop playing with their potential and start working for what they want in both life and in love. I am all about helping Black women specifically understand that they can make the money and they can get the honey. They can have it all as long as they're willing to work for it. So I'm excited to be here and just share any type of encouragement, inspiration that I can. I did not meet my husband online or any of the dating apps, but I definitely had my fair share of experience with the dating apps. So I'm excited to be here and just share whatever I can. 
I feel like your story or that the 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 ending of that is how I envision my dating life to end. You know, I use online dating as some like a testing ground. Okay, I'll mm-hmm. date around, we'll do whatever, but I recognize that I'm not as serious when it comes to <laughs> dating online. I envision my end husband to be someone that I meet still in that traditional type story. You know, we we pass by each other in the supermarket or something and and there we go. So, I mean, today, obviously you guys, you know, gave us a great background that Ty and I would definitely dive into, but I just want to make sure the audience knows we're obviously talking about dating with purpose. We recognize that, you know, dating in 2022 can sometimes feel like the Hunger Games. We'll be talking about online dating. What's the good, the bad, the pros, the cons? Is this really the future? Talking about Black women when it comes to dating, and then obviously the idea of dating with purpose. But before we do... Yes. So we started this tradition where we ask all of our guests, what is their dream for Black women? And we keep that question intentionally broad. And I'd like to pose that to each of you. You want to start us off, Demona? Big question. <laughs> I would say my dream for Black women, you know, in my line of work, I, I do s- see so many women who have been hearing the stories and have believed the myths about what is possible for Black women in love and what a successful relationship looks like for a Black woman. My dream is that we set aside the myths and we really figure out what do we need to live our best life, to live our best love lives, and to be whole with or without a relationship? Which is kind of funny as a as a dating coach. Most people think that I'm always all about a relationship all the time, but I I really only want my clients to be in a relationship that is additive and enhances their life and elevates them to greatness. That's what I want for Black women. So I definitely would say my dream for Black women, I mentioned, you know, wanting to be an encouraging, um, create an encouraging space to help Black women realize that they can have the best of both worlds because a lot of us were raised to believe we have to pick one or the other. And a lot of us are leaning in on the career, the business, and not focusing as much on the relationship and the family. And so my biggest dream would be for Black women to realize that they truly can have it all, but also recognize that they have to prepare to be loved properly. I'm all about relationships all the time because I believe whether you say it or not, whether you're willing to admit it or not, we want companionship at the end of the day. And so my biggest dream or my biggest hope would be for you to find that proper love, you know, really, really being loved in the right way. So that would be my my biggest dream. I love both of those answers. And Demona, you said something that reminded me of a recent clip that's been going online. It's Kevin Hart talking to Tracy Ellis Ross. So what do you think about what she said? Wow. It's it's <laughs> surprising that we almost said the exact same words, but I think it's because we're in a time when a lot of women are waking up to this reality that this line of thinking that we has been passed down to us from generation to generation. Like, this is how you get ahead. Like, it's a relationship for security first above love. And when we're at a time now when, like, Tracy Ellis Ross is at the top of her game. Yeah. She doesn't need a man for anything, really. I mean, we have all kinds of technology to help you with all kinds of things today. But she is in a position where she can choose partnership. And that's the thing that 
I'm always talking about on dates and mates is that it is a choice. Like even as someone who is in a relationship and has been for a long time, I still choose every day to be with my husband and to show up for him and to be the best version of myself. But at even after all of these years of marriage, it's a partnership where we both come to the table whole. And sometimes I still feel like society is set up in a way where a woman who has achieved so much has a hard time finding someone that she feels is at her level and, you know, respects all that she has. You know, I've worked with a lot of celebrities, a lot of high profile women. This is exactly what I did with Garcelle Bouvet on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And this is the challenge. It's like you can have it all, as Coriel said, but there are times in there are seasons in your life. And there are times when you're in a relationship season. There are times when you may be in a building your your career season. And there may be times when a relationship is not additive to your life. And I respect her immensely for for saying that, for honoring that, and for giving voice to that. Coriel, what about you? I, um, a couple years ago, I actually had one of my cousins in the group chat. You know, I've always been, let me just say that I've always been um, super business focused. I left the classroom. I was a classroom teacher, um, left the classroom in 2011, turned my $32,000 teaching salary into a million dollar digital brand. And I've always been super driven and focused on you know, success and what that looks like for me. And for a lot of the years, even though I had the single wives club, I wasn't as focused personally on my personal life as I was on building the business to help other women do the thing. And I literally had one of my cousins in our family group chat tell me, you know, well, it's going to be okay. You could just be like, she literally said like Tracy Ellis Ross, you don't need a husband, literally. And I was offended by it because I knew and I felt like the world knew, you know, I had started this organization, Single Wives Club, all about helping single women prepare to become wives. So I feel like it was pretty obvious that I wanted, you know, companionship. I aspired to become a wife and I felt like it was a little shade in saying, well, you got money, you're successful, you're going to be okay. And I think that that is the notion that a lot of us and not to say you won't be okay, but I think that it's, you know, the, the, the belief that a lot of us kind of fall into the trap of feeling like, well, the money can replace the honey. And it just can't, you know, at the end of the day, if you want both, you can definitely have both. And I mentioned, you know, being loved properly because nobody wants to just be with anybody. Any of us could be with anybody if that's what we really wanted. But to have a true partnership, I think is what is what should be your priority. And so my brother-in-law died suddenly. And now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. 
Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at selectquote.com slash commercials. I think even what Tracy Ellis Ross said is, you know, to my point that she didn't say she didn't want a partner. She said she didn't want a partner that doesn't add value. And I think that is the overarching like theme here. It's like, don't just settle for something just to say you have something, but also don't ignore the fact that you do want something and you have to be actively, you know, doing the things to position yourself to be loved properly. So I definitely know there are, and I have several, you know, friends that are creeping up on 35, creeping up on 40 and feeling like, you know, their their life is just not panning out in the way that they envisioned it. And it is heartbreaking, if I can be honest, to to watch and hear of women who want to have kids, who want to be married, who want these things, but they're feeling like I just have to settle for success in other areas of my life because this seems like it's impossible for me. I'm glad you said that because what I see from that and it's kind of like, okay, from what I hear, hear, heard, I need to, I need to listen to the full episode, but from what I've heard, I'm, I'm thinking, well, are we asking for too much in this capacity? When it comes to the idea of, I want someone that's better than me, do they have to be better than you in totality? Or are there a few things that you can just say, hey, they're better than me at this? Like you're the, when we were talking about Tracy Ellis Ross, we're talking about the fact that she's successful money, et cetera. So does her partner necessarily need to have that in order to say, hey, this is someone that I'm interested in? Or can they then be, let's say, the person that's the funniest to be around or this or that? Like, are there other things? Because oftentimes when we say we are, and I, I would- you know, say I'm in that group as well, an achieving or high achieving black woman, super successful in this or that version of my life. Does my partner, is it okay to say, okay, this person needs to be meet me or be better than me, feed into me in this kind of way in totality in order for it to be a, a relationship that works? Yeah. What I like about what she said is she said, they have to make my life better. She didn't say they have to be more Mm -hmm. talented, famous, or have money. She simply said they have to make my life better. If it's not obvious to people who listen by now, I am a proud, raging feminist. And I think there's such focus in our society on having women be partnered to the expense of people considering, is this making your life better? Is this partnership what you want? I think we have a very normative, many of us still have a very normative, limited view of what partnership looks like it should be like. So I like that she said, I just want it to be additive. She had no list of requirements. And I liked also what Demona said about you come to the table whole. And I think there's some conversation. I even yeah. think the the tone of the conversation with her was your life must be missing this thing. And she was like, I, I'm good. That's how I took it. And of course I interpreted all of what she said and even the question that she was asked through my lens of being this incredibly liberal feminist. <laughs> I get it. I get it and I love it. But if your life is good and if you're fully whole and if that's how you are approaching the world, 
how do you notice that a partner or a potential partner is making your life better? You, I feel like you have to recognize that there's something that could be additive. And I th- so I think it's a little, it's cap to say, you know, that this is a situation where, you know, I just feel I'm amazing. And then this person just miraculously like made my life even more amazing. You have to notice within yourself, you know, have that level of awareness to say there's something that's missing here. And I would want my partner to add in this way. I don't think it's missing necessarily. I think Mm -hmm. it's complimenting. So when you mentioned, you know, does he have to be better, you know, or make more money? I really feel like it's it's a compliment to you. You know, I am 100% entrepreneur. My husband is professional. He's a he's a doctor. So there's we're not the same, but we complement each other very well. And so I think when you mentioned being better. I felt like what popped in my head immediately was like Candy and Todd. I feel like they are the perfect example of you could look from the outside looking in and say, well, Todd is not on her level. But Candy appears from the outside looking in to be very happy with him, to to feel like he compliments her very well. And it would be really hard. You know, the the pickings would be slim for Candy to have the dating pool of people who are just as successful or more successful than her. So I feel like it really comes down to self-awareness and knowing what you need, like truly not just making a list of frivolous things, but really, truly knowing what would complement you well. Yeah, I agree with that. And I kind of look at it with my clients as designing your life. This is why I started off with the myths and the narratives and beliefs that we carry from generation to generation about what we need. Like we're all looking for the same five guys. (laughs) And if you really step back, and I do this with my clients in my programs, we step back and say, okay, if you were to design this life, like you want, you want to be a hundred percent devoted to your career. It's great. And you want to also have kids. That's great. And you also want to have a guy that's working, you're making as much money as as you do. There is a cost to that. So it's not even like what's missing from your life. But what does that scenario actually look like? I chose a partner who I knew would be a devoted hands-on father. That to me was more important than anything else. Cause I was like, I'm be running stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> I need somebody that's not going to have any ego about, Oh, I have to pick up the kids or, Oh, I have to make dinner. Now I know that's not a scenario that's right for everyone, but what I ask people to do is to ask those questions of themselves and figure out how does this person fit into my life? How is this person additive? And we tend to go to the finances because that's how we've been taught. But it's there's so much more to that equation. For you to notice that in your partner, did you come to the table with kids? Did he already have kids? Like, how do you notice something that's a little more futuristic? Like, how did you know he was going to be this person? Because I feel like a lot of us may want someone who is going to be attentive. But do you really, how do you recognize that in beforehand? This is important. We talk. She's asking for a friend. (laughs) We're afraid, right? No, you're asking for you because so many times we're afraid to ask for what we really want to Mm -hmm. speak about the things that are really important to us because we're afraid what? That they're going to run away. But Mm -hmm. I promise you, anyone listening that is afraid of speaking up on a date and saying, I'm really looking for a serious relationship. Like, I'm not looking for F boys. I'm really... I'm dating with purpose. If you're afraid that if you say that you're scaring people away, just know you are. (laughs) You're scaring people away. You're scaring the wrong ones away. There was never a question in my mind. My husband at the beginning was like, I am looking for a serious relationship. I want to have kids. That was front loaded in our 
courtship process, if you call it that. So there was never a question in my mind because we talked about those things. And and if you can find the courage to express what you want and know that it will repel the wrong people, but rejection is your protection. So, and it's not even really rejection. It's just, it's, it's, they're rejecting what you have to offer or what your vision is because it's not right for them. But there's someone out there who is going to compliment your life and who's going to want those same things that you want. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I want to talk too about because in terms of complimenting your life, um, Coriel, you're in the same position of of Demona. Both of you are in you know serious relationships, marriages. For you, for your situation, how did you determine like this guy is your future? Ooh, so <laughs> I mentioned that I did dibble and dabble uh, with Tinder specifically, um, and yeah. the thing that did it for me and really like was like, girl, you got to stop playing and get serious about what it is that you say you want. In November of 2016, my best friend got pregnant. She was already married, but she got pregnant. And we had like this pregnancy pact. Like we're going to do this together. When one get pregnant, the other going to get pregnant. She was married, got pregnant, and I was single as hell. And that (laughs) was like my wake up call that life is going on without me, whether I you know, want it to or not. If I want this for myself, I got to be willing to do some work. And so literally that next month, December, 2016, I put myself on this self-prescribed 10 date Tinder challenge. And I said, girl, if you can't find somebody that you at least like in 10 dates, you're the problem. You got to go back to therapy. Like something's wrong. You got to figure it out. (laughs) And so I literally got on Tinder, you know, made my profile, started going on these dates. And the thing was, I did not have, like I had standards, but I did not have a type that I was looking for. It was literally like if the conversation was good, if I felt like there was something there, I'm going to give you a chance because me dating based on type for all of these years didn't get me anywhere. And so I, I literally did that. I dated all types of guys, all different shapes and sizes and all of the things in different cities. Every every city I traveled to, you know, within a, those, those months, I was on Tinder and I was willing to go on dates and just have fun and get to know myself through getting to know these other people. And so putting myself out there put me like in this different headspace. I think I had this different energy about me. I was more open in real life because I was actually dating, you know, online and offline. And so I made it to date seven. I didn't make it to 10, but I made it to date seven. And that was date seven was in February. And I decided I was done (laughs) at that point. (laughs) Another conversation for another day. But I at State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I ended up meeting my husband in May of 2017. I met him in the club, not a traditional place, you know, not the grocery store. But (laughs) I know for, you know, for a fact that I even met him because I was open, you know, because he wasn't necessarily my type. He had braces at the time. I thought he was young, you know, all of the things that would typically like, make this like a, no, I'm not giving you my number. Um, But it was something about him. And so literally on the first date, it was our conversation. It was very much so I could be friends with this guy. You know, I, I really remember saying to myself, 
I don't know if if, if he's my husband, but I know that I want to keep talking to him. I know I want to see him again. I know that, you know, this is somebody I want to know. And that was different for me because I was so focused on, you know, picking, in, you know, either putting you in this category, putting you in that category, either we're going to go out again because I can see you being my husband or I'm never going to talk to you again. And for for this um, situation, it was literally like, I'm not even putting the pressure on myself, but I know that I, that there's something that I want to hold on to here, mm. even if it's just friendship. And that friendship has carried us. You know, we got married in 2021. So we'll be going on two years in January, but that friendship has literally, that was the foundation of everything. And that was the, it's the, it's the friendship. It's the friendship for me. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Truly. So, Demona, you mentioned that you work with your clients and you break down the myths about what is possible for Black women in love. And I know you work with all types of clients, but this is a show for and about Black women. So is there anything there you can shed light on? Is there anything... You know, I'm careful, Ty, to repeat myths because the uh, the more you repeat something, right, the more it becomes real. Mm. I'll just address what I've heard. And I also, I hosted a show called Hashtag Black Love where I was working with five black women in New York City on helping them find love. So I can talk about I remember like, that. what came up a lot. <laughs> remember that show? Married at First Sight. Oh, so good. And I do remember you, know, you yeah. with, with Garcelle as well. So you, I mean... We, we can talk about it. <laughs> I'd be trying, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to help folks. No, I, I am helping a lot of folks and a lot of the pattern, the same patterns do come up, I think, because it was kind of like what Coriel was talking about earlier, like this either or, like we have to, we have to be, first of all, I've been grappling a lot with this, you know, work twice as hard to get half as far situation, I'm realizing, hey, maybe I don't need to work quite, quite so hard. <laughs> I think I think after like almost 20 years of doing this, like I think I've kind of established myself. But this is something I do see also reflected in other black women of either I'm going to be, you know, on the grind for my job or I'm going to be pursuing dating. And I don't think that you have to pick, but I do think you have to have you have to have a strategy. And what what Coriel said was when she she started dating with purpose, right? With clarity on Tinder. Like she wasn't like, well, here we are going on the apps, just saying, well, maybe my husband's on the app. Or even the story that you said, Akila, like I don't envision I'm on the apps, but I don't envision that's where I'm going to meet my person. And those kind of beliefs, I think, keep us stuck in a yes. loop. We don't know. Like, Coriel didn't know she was going to be up in the club <laughs> meeting her, her husband there. She was dating with purpose and had clarity. And so this is something that I help all women do, but also specifically black women, because I think we carry a lot of other expectations of achievement. And also, I find that there is a, okay, we're going to get into it, because mm -hmm. um, I'm married to a white guy. And um, I you should have led with that girl. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's not a secret. This is just part of the story. This is not a thing. It's not a thing. I almost turned down black love because I was like, wait a minute. I don't want, I'm all about authenticity as well. Yeah. I'm about love and love I want to help black women find love, but I'm not, I'm not paying attention to the packaging that it's coming in. Mm -hmm. And your person may look different yeah. also than you think. And not just size and shape. It might also be in skin color and in culture and in race. So when I started working on the show, I said, I want people to 
open up their ideas of what they think love looks like. And I think a lot with black women carry a lot of responsibility to be the keepers of culture. Like we're told you've got to find black love. You've got to find a black man and you have to have a black family. And I think that's a lot of pressure. And I don't see black men having that same level of pressure and responsibility. I'm still a fan of black love. And I, I, if that's something that you want, if that's something that one of my clients wants, I really help, help them figure out where to go to amplify their chances of finding love. So you have to be dating in the right pool for the people that you're looking to meet. But I'm also like, but what if? What if you expanded your dating pool and you weren't looking at that as a factor? And yes, there may be some education you have to do. And yeah, they might step in it. And yeah, you might have to have a conversation with your husband when you're filling out paperwork for your children and they check the box of white on their school forms. And you like, wait, hold on. But uh, <laughs> aren't our kids black? I'm so confused. Or that's just me. That's something that happened to me. Those are the major themes that I deal with with black women. And I just want to address, I'm not going to go down this whole rabbit hole, but I hear a lot of times because there was this actually OkCupid book, Dataclism, that talked about how black women on dating apps, quote, don't do well. They send the most messages and they receive their fewest responses. And I think this is a narrative that gets passed down and repeated and repeated and repeated. And I tell you, I've been working with black women for a really long time. It's not true for my clients. Either something major has shifted in the last 15 years since that data was gathered, and that was a long time ago, or we need to stop repeating this narrative because it's making us it's keeping us stuck in believing that that is factual and that we can't be as successful on dating apps, that we can't find black love online. And, and that's just not a reality in today's world. I love, I mean, just between the both of you, Coriel and your story about how you met your husband and also Demona, what you're talking about when it comes to just dating as a black woman online. I think there was another, there was an episode on therapy for black girls where they actually talked about that idea too of a, a, like black Women, oftentimes, that was that you as well. I think that was me. Oh my god, Demona! I've just been following your career without even knowing it. (laughs) I said I've I've seen you on Black Love. What did I say say there? Did it sound smart? It sounded amazing. That sounds like I love what you're saying here. You said what you said on Monuments to Me, so we're going to keep it to Monuments to Me. Okay, that's what what was right here, (laughs) right here. But I, I think for me, my thing has always been when it comes to dating overall, and why dating online has been kind of tough for me personally is like, I've always felt that I was dating for intent with intention, but I was very much dating like in the idea of like very seriously, right? I, I, I find it hard to not be all or nothing. Like in this current world of like, you know, you have many partners and you just date around and be cute and just, you know, just enjoy dating. Kind of what Coriel was saying with, with having 10 dates. I can't imagine <laughs> doing that because I, I find myself, one, just feeling very overwhelmed by the number of it and knowing that, okay, well, I could be doing this. I can be self-caring. You know, I can do work. It takes a lot of time to date. And on the flip side, when it comes to just, do I feel like it's leading anywhere or am I wasting my time having all these dates that I don't feel? If I felt that it was such a serious spark, I would be focused on you, point blank period. So I'm trying to get to a point because I think it's effective and I feel like that is how you lead to the results. You kind of, that proverbial like eggs in many baskets, but I don't know how to do that. Like, how do you do that <laughs> in a way that's effective? 
in my experience, it really truly was because that was me prior to. And that's why I had been single for so long, because it's like if you are not. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Worth my time, I'm not going to waste my time. But right. that really restricts you because then you sit down and you're almost like having a job interview where it's like, if you don't meet these qualifications, I'm never going to see you again. And I'm not saying, again, that I didn't have standards when I was doing this 10-day Tinder challenge, but I didn't have the pressure. It was literally like I was in the mindset of... I'm just meeting new people. I'm going new places. I'm trying great restaurants. You know, I was, and I wasn't just going out to dinner. We were going to basketball games and we were doing different things. So it wasn't just like, I'm using these guys for meals, which is a whole nother conversation. It was literally (laughs) like, if I saw something in you, even if it wasn't the whole thing, I was willing to give you a chance and I was willing to at least have a conversation because what's that going to hurt? You know, I'm willing to at least meet you in real life because- I can always go home and you don't know where I live. You know, like it wasn't a big deal. And so I think just having that mindset and having that mindset does did something to my energy where it was literally like I was open. I was friendly. I was, you know, I, I was want, showing up as a friend versus trying to show up as a wife looking for a husband type of thing. And it was right. literally that same energy that carried me into that club that had me open enough to give this guy my phone number that I carried into our first date where it was literally just a friendly conversation where it wasn't the pressure of he has to answer every question right. And if he says the wrong thing, I'm never going to talk to him again. It was literally like I'm open. You know, I have told God what I want. Now I'm going to put myself in position to to get it. And so I also wasn't dating, you know, the seven dates, they weren't all simultaneous. You know, they wasn't all at the same time. Oh, okay. It wasn't all at the same time because that would be pretty tricky to manage. And it wasn't like I was going out on date two and three and four if I saw nothing there. You know, a lot of those dates really truly only were, you know, that first date because I realized, okay, you know, one guy had like a three month old child. It's like, okay, we don't need a second date. Like this you ain't the one for me. So it was, I was still able to see, you know, whether or not this was going somewhere, but it just wasn't the pressure of, I got to meet my husband tonight. And I think that is what a lot of us, that's the trap a lot of us fall into. And it cuts us off from what could be because we're looking for this perfect thing. So I definitely agree, Demona, with what you were saying and, you know, being open. And again, I'm not as open, Demona. I was a little open. I wasn't all the way open, but I was a little open, you know, (laughs) if you know what I mean. But definitely, you know, not sticking to this quote unquote type. I do believe in dating outside of your type because a lot of times our type is like what we're just super attracted to. And that point of attraction, a lot of times is not, doesn't always have our best interests at, you know, at heart. It's like that attraction is based on something else that, you know, isn't really going to last a lifetime. So hopefully that, that is helpful and answers your question, Akilah. That does. That does. I mean, I know Demoni, you were going to, you were going to mention a few things too. It does, but I think there's something here. Yeah. There's so much. Let's go. What's <laughs> well, here? What's like, here? Let's go well, with okay, it. Okay. One person was like, okay, Coriel, you're like, I wasn't all the way open. And I know Demona, you often say, why do we put up with, we don't put up with like bias and bigotry in other parts of our lives. Why do we welcome it into our love lives? So I just want to know, 
Coriel, did you feel this pressure to carry the culture like Demonis mentioned earlier? Like what was it about you that had you less open? I embraced the pressure and I have a black son who I plan on putting the pressure on as well. If I'm being completely honest, I just have very, and I'm always being completely honest. So I just have very real thoughts around Black love and the responsibility that we have to birth Black families. You know, I think that that is becoming, unfortunately, it's like becoming like, I don't want to say a thing of the past, but it's it's becoming like a thing where, you know, we don't feel the sense of responsibility culturally that I feel like a lot of other cultures do. And they don't apologize for it. You know, if we talk about Indian culture, if we talk about Asian culture, if we like we can list, we can go down the laundry list of other cultures that are very much so rooted in continuing on their traditions, their values, like maintaining that culture. And unfortunately, in the black community, we feel like we have to either apologize for it or we feel like it's not our responsibility. And I am totally for everybody having their personal choice. You know, I'm not push, I'm not trying to push my beliefs on anybody except for my kids. But it was very, it was very important for me to embrace my and I, I'm I went to HBCU. I am all of my businesses have been for black women. I'm very loud and proud about that. And so and because it's authentic, you know, to who I am. And so I just think that in truly embracing all of my Blackness, not marrying a Black man and birthing Black children who appreciate and love and are proud of their Blackness and want to carry that on. I don't think that would be true to me. And so, you know, I didn't feel the pressure. I kind of, you know, I embraced it. I felt like it was, it is my responsibility. It is my responsibility to birth Black men and Black women who love their Blackness so much that they want to carry it on. And I do think, unfortunately, in our community, we're sometimes beat up about that. Like you said, Black women specifically are, you know, and, and Black men too are beat up about, you know, about that if that is something that's important to us where other cultures and communities, it's ingrained in them. You know, it's not even a second thought. It's not even a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Alternative Ooh, thoughts. Demona, what you got to say about that? Yeah. <laughs> There's so much. I want to go back to the first thing she said, but I'll just address that. I Same. I want what everyone else wants. Like, I want what you want for your life. And all I try to get my clients to do is to ask themselves those questions of what is important to me. What does this life look like that I'm trying to build? And it, it sounds like from from your story, Coriel, when you kind of let go of the outcome, you had the clarity of what you wanted, but you let go of the outcome, then you could really be your true self on dates. Because we're... we're also conditioned to run a script for a date, you know, to run a date in a certain way. This is how it's supposed to go. I don't even have my clients doing dinner dates. Like it's too much time. <laughs> and I hear you, Akila, on the uh, time and overwhelm of go going on a lot of dates. But I really look at dating as a set of learned skills. Mm -hmm. And the more you practice it, as Coriel has proven, the more you practice it, the better you get at it. And I had that same experience when I was online dating. And I was like, here I am living in LA, single woman, going out all the time, meeting all kinds of guys, but I wasn't meeting the right kind of guys. And I found that they were there online. And the more that I dated online, the better I got at flirting, the better I got at communicating my needs, the more I was able to develop a system that helped me retain my energy while I was going on these dates and not giving so much of it away in trying to figure out if somebody was a fit. 
it sounds like also what Coriel was saying in how her relationship unfolded was similar to what I tell my clients. Rather than focusing on building a friendship, I tell my clients to be led by curiosity. And so if you're curious enough at the end of the first date to go on a second date, just go. I have my clients do a three-date rule. If they say something that's offensive to you, if you don't connect, if you're like, oh, no, three-month baby, three-month-old baby, I'm not into this, that's okay to let that go. But if there's curiosity there, you have to continue to show up and play it out and see what happens. Totally. I like totally that being led right. by curiosity. Mm-hmm. Cause I used to say, mm-hmm. if he's not a serial killer, maybe we'll go on a second date, but I think <laughs> led, being led by curiosity is probably more effective. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, um, when I met my husband, so back in the day we had a system where we, we did a phone call before the date. Now I still have my clients try and do screening. And now that video video chats are kind of a part of dating. I really encourage, this is a great way to conserve your energy, Akila, is to do sort of a screening step in between. Love it. Um, I could talk all day about video chat dates, but I do that on dates and mates all the time, so you don't need to, yes. need to do that right here. Give us the abridged but, version actually, because I, I love I love the idea of a screener. But wait, I was going to tell you my story. <laughs> Go ahead. I was going to tell you my personal story. I saw my husband's profile and it was just like, I, I would say I knew, but I knew many other times and it wasn't the guy, but I saw his profile and I was like, all the rules, I had a whole system, all the rules were gone. And I said, I said, when can we meet? Where have you been? When can we meet? I was not cool. I had no chill. But somehow, somehow he he took the bait and I tricked him into taking me out. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but I set up the date and then I went, wait a minute. I haven't heard his voice. I I haven't talked to him. I skipped my screening step. So then I said, I need you to call me before the date so I can make sure you're not a serial killer. So when he said that tie, I was like, what does a serial killer sound like? Like, (laughs) Is he just mouth breathing into the phone? You just get a vibe. You just get a vibe. (laughs) That's just what it is. But I think what you're- He's not a serial killer. What you're saying too is just like, what I think is just the future of dating, the now of dating is so- it's online heavy and it's not just online in the terms of the apps, but like, let's say if I open Instagram, the DMs, the, you know, the TikToks there, there are multiple ways. I feel like Instagram is a dating app, <laughs> you know, it's a visual dating Someone app. Someone asked me that ways. yesterday. Oh, really? Somebody asked me that yesterday on Instagram or like, is Instagram a dating app? I'm like, I guess it is if you're asking, but it is going down in the DMs. Actually, a lot of my celebrity clients, that's where they find their dates because they're not really about the apps. Mm-hmm. But the difference is, there's a lot more screening because you don't know that everyone's single. You don't know what they're looking for. And the other thing that's kind of problematic, I think, about Instagram is that when you start going on a deep dive through their stories and their videos and things that were said out of context that were not said for the audience of you and you start reading into it, then you can talk yourself out of dates. And that kind of goes back to what Coriel was saying about dating with a checklist. We're always looking for reasons to say no instead mm. of reasons to say yes. So I say do it all. Date on Instagram, date up in the club, try the grocery store. I don't, the, the numbers do not support it. Statistically <laughs> speaking, you're very unlikely to meet your partner in a grocery store, but you never know. I try and start conversations anywhere and everywhere. And I really encourage my my listeners and clients to do the same. What is the top dating app, though, you would think, or the most most successful dating app for Black women, if you had to say? It's tricky because I, you know, I work with dating apps. Like I work oh, with OkCupid. Okay. So I'm going to say OkCupid. <laughs> no, um, I think really and truly, I think it's 
about what you're looking for. I, I have my clients do two things. When you are considering an app, first of all, you can create a profile in two minutes. I have a free profile starter kit if you're not sure what to say at DemonaHoffman.com. Okay. But you, you can just go on the app first and see, ask two things. Do I see people here that I'm attracted to? And do I like the functionality? Because if you hate your dating app, yeah. if it's hard for you to use, if there's too many tools like I like, because I get in there, I like all the tools of OkCupid and Match and I like all the questions on Hinge. I like getting in there. But maybe for you, you'd prefer a Bumble or a Tinder where you can just swipe, swipe and it's quick and then you can get to know someone more in in the messaging phase. Yeah. You have to choose an app that's the right fit for you and that has the pool that you're looking for. If you're about black love and that's the only option for you, then you probably do want to be on a niche dating app that is focused on that is focused on black daters. But I also say mix it up. You want to be on two apps at the same time. Yes. So a niche and a more legacy app or a niche and a curated app, like, you know, a, a coffee meets bagel might be good for you, Akila, if you get overwhelmed of the number of matches that you're having, like they're just giving you just, just, just a, a few, sample. just a little sample, just a couple bagels a day, and then you don't get overwhelmed. And that might be right for you. It's so true. I have a so question true. that's like <laughs> shifting gears a little bit, because both of you made love and dating and your into coaching and entrepreneurial endeavors. What was the moment when you said, this is where I'm going to focus my profession. This is when I'm that passionate about it, but I also see the financial potential. I'd love to hear like what happened. Yeah. So I, at 24, I had made up in my mind, well, prior to being 24, but in my mind, you know, 25 was the magic age where I needed to be married. I needed to be on my way to being somebody's mama. Like 25 was it for me. And so when 24 rolled around and again, I was single as hell, I had decided once again, this was the first decision that it was time for me to do something. In that case, the something was making this silly little list you know, giving it over to God, saying this prayer, wishing twice, kissing a pay, all the little silly stuff that I was doing. And I manifested that list. I wrote it in September of 2009. And he, the list walked into my life in March of 2010. And he was literally like 18 of the 20 things. Like it was scary. 20. 20, 20 silly little 24 year old mind things um, that didn't matter at all. Okay. Um, but literally he was like 18 out of the 20 to the point where I had to like pull the letter out show it to him like, oh my God, like I wished for you. I prayed for you. Here you are. The day he met me, he told me he was going to marry me. Like I literally thought that God had just blessed me. Like in my mind, God had just blessed me. And it lasted from March to November. Uh, by June, we were engaged. I literally thought that this was just the love of my life sweeping me off my feet. And it ended up being an abusive relationship. Um, I realize now, you know, why he wanted to rush things in the way that he did. You know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. My mature mind can recognize those red flags. But I feel I felt like after I got out of that relationship, I definitely still wanted to be a wife. I realized I had just, you know, made the bad the, the a bad choice um in my in the partner. And so I started doing all of the self-work that I could. And part of that work was me looking for resources for like, how can I prepare? You know, next time around I'm gonna be prepared. And there was nothing out there. Like when I say nothing, like zero out there around 
single women preparing to become wives. It did not exist. And so I ended up starting the Single Wives Club just like in my living room. It was literally started as like a potluck where me and my single friends were like trying to teach each other how to cook. That was what came to mind. Like, you want to be a wife? Okay, we got to start with learning how to cook. And so that was the beginnings of what, you know, eventually became the Single Wives Club of me just trying to create a resource for myself and for, you know, for other single women who knew that we wanted to become wives, but didn't have the moms and the aunts and the grandmas who could help us, you know, in getting there. I didn't start, I started as a nonprofit. I didn't start it to make money. I started it to really help myself. And it ended up being, you know, like this global organization for other single women who wanted to figure out how they could become wives. And it turned into me connecting happy wives, like the mentors, happy wives with single women who otherwise didn't have anybody to ask the questions and create the conversations and create the resources. So um, definitely was an education platform, but it came from my personal experience um, of trying to rush into what I thought I needed to complete me only to realize, you know, that rushing, you know, was about, was, was really um, almost ruined my life. And so that was my, you know, I guess aha moment of me kind of stumbling into my purpose that has turned into, you know, several things since 2011. But I didn't choose this life. This life chose me. I mean, I have a follow up before we go to Demona, because I love the idea of someone who is new to marriage, having a mentor or someone else they can ask, someone who's been married for longer. But part of me does struggle with the idea of preparing women to be wives, why do you feel that women need to be prepared to be wives? And why is cooking on the list? You know, because I was 24 and did not know ish about what being a But that's the thing. We don't know, which is why the preparation is key to me, because in every other area of your life, you prepare for it. When you want to get a driver's license, you're going to take a class before you take the test. You're not just going to go out there and take the driver's test and you've never been behind the wheel before. When it comes to literally any other thing that you want to go after, you're going to read a book, you're going to find a mentor, you're going to take a class. But when it comes to relationships, which can literally ruin your life, it almost ruined mine, there's no preparation. And, 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 it comes down to the most frustrating part of me running the single wives club was single women who thought a man should just take me as I am, or I can just show up and live happily ever after as my messed up self, not realizing that their messed up self was going to attract a messed up man, which was my mistake. And so the preparation Mm -hmm. isn't, you have to do all of these things for a man, but it's like, if you want a healthy, happy, lifelong partnership, which is what most people aspire, you know, to have when, when they say they want to get married, it's like, what are you willing to do to prepare for the best possible outcome? Not that you're even doing this for a man, but really doing it for yourself. And I think that goes to Demona's point of showing up as a whole person. The preparation wasn't preparing for a man. It was becoming, my tagline was become a better woman before becoming a wife. It was literally like, how can you become the best version of yourself so that you can attract the best version of someone else and then have the best outcome possible? So but I, I can completely see that. It's such an interesting take because when, when I think about, you know, I was thinking about the women in my life, like growing up and everything. And I'm like, yeah, my mom is a single mom, single mother, you know, all of her siblings, my aunts, et cetera, like Never, no relationships. I, the first wedding I went to, I was probably 
16 or 17. And it was to, to someone that we all knew she shouldn't be marrying, but that was that. And then fast, fast forward to college. And what I noticed was one of my um, friend, one of my sorority sisters, actually, she, she got married immediately after college, as did a lot of people who were in the South. And I just thought it was a Southern thing. I was kind of like, why did, why would you do this? Like, you know, there's so much life to live, you know, you, you be you and you feel fulfill your independent destiny before attaching yourself to someone. But I can't, it's interesting now that I, I'm in this position where I'm like, you know what, now I am actively seeking partnership and not knowing where that stage one is. And also not knowing where it is, but also feeling a level of, well, no, when it comes to relationships, there's, there's we're, we're taught in those fairy tales that no, it'll just fall out of the sky, that you will just meet your, just flow in life and something will happen. So I do really like the aspect of single, your, what you created about an aspect of no, it's, it's us taking charge and taking the power back when it comes to actually creating the life that we want and being open about the fact that a relationship is part of that. So that's dope. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank God, Coriel, that you saw that that was not a healthy relationship for you and that you got out. There are a lot of women that are unfortunately, you know, stuck in, in situations like that. And so I knew that there was something <laughs> to this technique that I had and that I could, uh, once I started, once I met my husband online, I started a helping other people. Like people are like, oh, well, how'd you meet that guy? He's really great. I'm like, I, I met him online. So I would always find a mismatch between what they thought that they were putting out in their profile and what they were really saying. So I started just rewriting friends and family members' profiles and people started calling me. I met someone, I'm getting married, I'm having a baby. And I thought, oh, maybe this is something that I should do. So I did it on the side. I had, I had a I had a fake name. <laughs> I it was I kept it completely separate from my my corporate media career, but it got to a point where the volume on that part of my life just got a lot got turned up. It was actually after I had my daughter and I went back to a job that I thought I loved and I just felt like I was failing it at all. And I was working harder than I'd ever worked. And I was the last person to get to daycare every day, even though I was the first person to leave the office every day. I was taking work home. I just thought, this can't be it. This is not how we're supposed to live our lives. I got to make a change. I was watching um, Oprah's life class and she spoke to me. There was something she said about like really just grabbing that ring. And when you know that you have to do something different with your life, really taking the initiative and taking a bold, making a bold choice. So I left not knowing what was awaiting me. And it ended up being a path that has been so much more fulfilling that has enabled to create my own schedule and see my children and be involved and supportive partner for my husband. And I'm just really grateful that I saw, I saw the opportunity there because that, that whole like grind at you know, work till you die mentality. It just doesn't, it's not it. (laughs) Not it. Yeah. I mean, between these two stories, you both are obviously talking about your entrepreneurial journeys and how it's worked in the dating space for the both of you, but it couldn't have always have been this, this green and luscious. Like we talked about in a few episodes prior, Ty and I were talking about the idea of nine to fives versus entrepreneurship and our own decisions or 
being pushed out or, or leaving on our own um, because now we're, we're operating in a space where, where we're owning our businesses or owning our crafts fully and really are in the thick of that, in that messy middle, as we like to call it. Um, so what were your initial journeys, any stories that you can share when it comes to obstacles, specifically in a dating landscape lens? Because oftentimes when we talk about entrepreneurship and people talk about it, it's interesting that dating is not a part of it. Or, you know, the, obviously the, the field that you both operating in is not really the career path that people talk about. Yeah. So I definitely, um, not only was I not profitable, like I said, I started a nonprofit just because I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship and I wasn't looking to start a business, but I, you know, knew that I had something and I needed to, you know, formalize it. But it was literally a passion project for me. And I actually started it the year before I left the classroom. And if I'm being a thousand percent honest, the only reason that I even walked away from my teaching career is the, it was the shame and the guilt around breaking off that engagement. I was, you know, so embarrassed mm-hmm. that I had to tell the world, you know, that I was not getting married to the point where I like tried to leave the country. I had gotten a teaching job in Abu Dhabi. I was literally going to pack up and leave. I swear I was going to pack up and leave and go live in Abu Dhabi because I was just so embarrassed and ashamed of this failed relationship. It was literally like two weeks before I was supposed to leave. The contract was signed. I had given up my job here and I had a conversation with somebody. I think the first and last conversation I ever even had with this person, but I know it was for a reason because he literally asked me like, well, how much are they going to be paying you over there? You know, like, why would you move all the way over there? Like, what is it really? And when I really thought about it, like had that moment with myself, it was like, you're really leaving for the wrong reasons. Like you're trying to run away from something that you're eventually going to have to come back to. So what is the point of it all? And so that is what actually pushed me into entrepreneurship um, was me having given up my job here, giving up that contract in Abu Dhabi and really just being forced to figure it out. And in the figuring it out season, I had time to dedicate to building the Single Wives Club and turning it into a for-profit business and just figuring out what that looks like. But there were definitely struggles. I mentioned earlier, you know, one of my biggest challenges was the single women who I was trying to serve. And, you know, they wanted a matchmaker. Like they wanted me to just deliver a husband to their door. They didn't want to do any of the work. And my whole thing was always preaching, become a better woman, become a better woman, become a better woman. It's not just about getting the man because he's not going to complete you. He's not going to make you happy. He's not going to show up and just be this thing that you're thinking that he is. And I had lived that. Like I had gotten the thing that I thought was going to be the thing and it wasn't. And so so my message was always like the preparation part of it between the single women and then just having to. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba define and explain like, what is a single wife? You know, like, what is that? Cause I made it up, you know, it was something that I literally just made up. And so the education around what that even meant, what that concept was very foreign, you know, obviously it doesn't really make sense. If you think about it, how can you be single? How can you be a wife? That was a question that I heard way too many times. Um, but it truly was, you know, I'm a single woman preparing to become a wife and I'm not claiming anything, anything else. And so Several challenges um, came with building that business, but I am my own success story. And I always say, you know, people will ask me, well, what are you going to do when you get married? And I'm like, 
I'm going to be proof. You know, I'm going to be proof that what I said was actually, was actually, you know, was actually it. It was actually the the formula. And I know there are, you know, not one specific way to get to the goal. There's several ways to get to your goal, but definitely having to educate people. And even like you said, Ty, you know, being met with that opposition of, well, why do I need to prepare, you know, for this? And I was ready for that question because I've answered it so <laughs> many times and, you know, just taking ownership and accountability of this area in the same way that we go after getting that degree, going after that career, you know, climbing the corporate ladder. It's like we do that with such conviction. But then if you say, you know, well, do you want to get married? It's like, we don't even want to admit it, let alone preparing because for it, it. But the thing is, it's because it's so dependent on somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of marriage is, or partnership, you need that other You can't person. control so it. So with other things, yeah, yeah, you can't control it. And with other things, you can say it's me versus me, but something with that would makes it a little more hesitant because it's really that idea of surrendering that, mm-hmm. that I feel like, you know, if I can share with a lot of other black women, it's it's harder to do. It's harder to do in any any race in general when it comes to relationships and admitting sometimes that you want one. But when it comes with black women, it's it's I feel like or at least with me, I feel like it's tough because it's a level of I have to depend on somebody else in a society where oftentimes, you know, you're taught to not depend on them because they won't you know, society doesn't necessarily show up for you in the same way. And then when it comes to relationships with such an intimate level of your life, an intimate part of your life, and oftentimes a start of that family structure, et cetera, that we talk about, it all is dependent on really putting it out there to say that someone else is really going to have my back in that in that capacity, right? Yeah. I just wanted mm-hmm. to clarify. I feel like I should clarify. <laughs> I love the intention and I'm a self-development <laughs> junkie and I want people to develop themselves so that they can communicate better, that they're like emotionally healthy, emotionally more mature, talk about some of their traumas with therapists and professionals of their choice so that they can show up whole in a relationship. When I heard the phrase grooming to be a wife and I heard you talk about your cooking class, I went to some very (laughs) like anachronistic (laughs) patriarchal norms. And I was like, let me look at my phone to see what year this is. I was like, wow, she's, you know, people out there churning butter again. I did not say the word grooming. Now that you've clarified. I did not say grooming. I think that's a very different, (laughs) that's a very different conversation. But no, I. I, Meanwhile, it's so funny. And this is why we're both here. Because meanwhile, I'm like, oh, sign me up. I want to see, I want to see what this So just to also kind of piggyback off of what you said, Akila, about this feeling of like, I don't want to rely, depend, you said depend Mm -hmm. on someone else. I feel that deeply. I am fiercely independent and a feminist high. That was something I really grappled with. So when I started my business, I was leaving a vice president of programming salary at NBC Universal. And I was like, I'm going to do this thing. And it was very important to me that no one thought that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. Like, I was not leaving to be a stay-at-home mom, which is also kind of silly because there's nothing wrong with that. Like, if that's what you aspire to, and then just be, you know, be the best stay-at-home mom that you or whatever. I don't know what the what's the current term. <laughs> is, that, is that the current? I think it is stay at home because I think before it was homemaker and now primary yeah. caregiver. Stay at home. I see. I right. have one of my best friends. I was at a party with her, and somebody said, "What do you do?" And she was like, "I'm a homemaker." And I was like, "Oh, <gasps> oh I thought that was the one she that folks didn't want." <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, so I don't know what we're supposed to say, but she was happy. 
She was she loves that role. Yeah. And that's the role that she, so it's great. But for me, that was very hard to swallow. So then when I started my business, I was like, I don't know what this is going to look like. We're we're taking a little bit of a leap of faith here. And my husband was, I got you. Don't worry about it. I'm making enough to support us right now. So if there comes a time when you're not you're not bringing in enough income, we'll talk about it. But for right now, just build your business. And I feel so fortunate to have been able to start my business at that place because there were a lot of years, more than one year, there were a lot of years where I not only did I not make money, but what I was doing was reinvesting into the business. I took, so I was like, okay, I don't have the pressure to bring money home for the family. I'm going to put that back into growing my business. And that was really vital. Now, I know there are a lot of female entrepreneurs that don't have that. And I think that that's great too, that you can have your community, that you figure it out. I recognize the the sort of opportunity in that. But this is why I say, similar to what Coriel said earlier, the person you choose to partner with affects every other area of your life. It affects your your finances. It affects your mental health. It affects your family life. It affects your where you live, your career, everything. And yet, it's the one decision that we tend to leave to chance. Well, when it'll happen, it'll happen. I saw this fairy tale. And what I'm always talking about on Dates and Mates is to put that same focus. I say date like it's your job. Put that same focus, not saying it's a lot of work, it is some work. But if you focus on your love life in the same way you focus on anything else you've been successful at, it's not depending on other people. It will happen for you the way that you have been able to generate that kind of joy for yourself in other areas too. Love that. I love, love that. that. Yeah. Let's end on a little horror, okay? <laughs> Let's end on a little horror. Because <laughs> I just want to really put on blast too because I think part of it is, it, for me at least, is also recognizing it's just, just a part of the gamble, right? Like, or how can we really maneuver through it? I remember this one time, for instance, I was on a date with someone. And I think the valuable lesson I learned here is something that actually my mom taught me, which is the idea of having vex money. Like money, when you when you need to just get away. When you're angry, there's something going on in the date, you need to have your own set of cash to get away. This is like when I was super, um, like just younger in the dating dating world. I went on a date with some guy and literally we went to the movies. It was like a dinner and a movie date, very traditional. We're at the movie now and I forget the movie that was playing, Brooklyn something. and there was a sex scene on this movie. Tell me how the guy next to me started, like literally my date, started interacting with the scene. <laughs> you know, like in terms of, it was crazy. Like, you know, this was happening and he was like grunting with it or like, oh yeah, like, you know, really just just doing that. And I was just like, oh wow, I need to I need to leave. Like this is a, this is an interesting conundrum, but he didn't think it was an issue. He was like, no, we're just, we're just watching the movie. I would laugh to a movie and I would cry to a movie. This is a movie. This is the part of the movie where I need to do this. Yeah. I also don't know movies because you're locked in for such a long amount of time. So are we sharing our, are we sharing our date horror stories? Yes, yes, let's share a little dating horror stories. What I know is I'm yours, Creo? <laughs> yeah, no, I already mentioned mine. I think the I think the, oh, the yeah. guy with the three month old that was horrible enough, and it was horrible only because well, it was horrible because why are we here? You know what? My question to him, it literally ended up being almost like a counseling session where I'm like, why? What could possibly be wrong with this lady? You have two children with her. The youngest is three months. You need to go 
spend some time with her. You know, like you need to figure out there's nothing that could be that wrong where you got to be out here on mm-hmm. dates and you got a three month old at home. So it literally turned into this other thing. And that that was enough for me. So not as dramatic as yours, <laughs> but still horrific to me because why are we here? This is something you didn't want to do. Right. Not at all. But the story I make up, Coriel, is that yeah. you changed his life. That, many- that he oh, went okay. home and he like reconciled with his family. <laughs> You know, that would be great. I I highly doubt it. He pursued me heavily after that, which was just so mind blowing because I made it very clear I wasn't interested. So I doubt he went. That's why. Yeah, I doubt that he went home Mm. to that to that poor lady. (laughs) (laughs) But I hear a lot of horror stories from my clients. And that's how I also make up new rules. (laughs) Because I'm like, oh, I have a rule that is never go to a second location on a date. Mm. Because one of my early clients goes out with this guy and they go out to dinner. And she's a very beautiful woman. She's sitting at the bar. They're waiting for their table. And he goes to the bathroom. And some other guy just starts talking to her. Like, he doesn't know she's on a date. He's just talking to her. This guy came out enraged. Like, I'm going to beat you up. Like, I'm not going to cuss on the show. But, (laughs) like, (laughs) expletives came out. He was literally ready on their first date to take this guy out. Like, because he just was having a conversation with my client. You know, she told me about this after the date. So I couldn't stop her. After dinner, he said, do you want to go get a drink? And then she got in a car with this guy and went to his second drink, which uh, drinking more is only going to make somebody that's that aggro even worse. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she contacted me the next day. She's like, and then he drove me home. And I was like, girl. Never. (laughs) There's a new rule now. You are never going to a second location. And if you see a behavior in someone that is that is unacceptable from the get go, like I think we also I see a lot of women that feel like we have to be polite, like, oh, I was asked Mm -hmm. on this date, so I have to stay through the movie or I have to stay Mm -hmm. through this guy like beating this guy's face (laughs) in. (laughs) And you don't have to stay. You don't have to stay. You your time is really valuable and precious. So don't go to the second date. Don't drink too much. I have actually some stories where I was the horrible date. (laughs) That's how that that's how that uh, rule got written. Definitely don't be afraid to walk away. That's it. Love it. Wow. (laughs) By the way, the FBI has that same rule to keep women safe. They always say if you're abducted, don't let them take you to a second location. I promise you it was on Oprah. Okay. So you are in line with the FBI. (laughs) I love it. I love that was the common theme with all these stories. It's like, don't be afraid to leave. (laughs) You need to... (laughs) You need to leave the situation, if anything. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Just like that, I'm getting back in the dating pool. Let's see what happens. But this was such a great conversation. I mean, honestly, I feel like we learned a lot, Ty. Thank you so much. Is there any last words, anything that you want to share where our listeners can find you, for instance? Yeah, so I am. Um, I drop new episodes of the Girl Stop Playing podcast twice a week, every single week. You can log on to Girl Stop Playing, no G, girlstopplaying.com to catch my latest episode. And you can follow me on Instagram at Coriel. Would love to connect with y'all. And my final word would just be I truly, truly believe that there is a perfect partner out there being prepared for you right now. And when he shows up, he's going to be ready to love you properly. And when I say perfect, I don't mean without flaw. I mean the perfect compliment to you. So 
Don't give up hope, y'all. Don't give up hope. Now that's a wrap for our guests, but not for our episode. Keep listening as we share our insights and all our thoughts on what we just discussed. So you know what, Ty? Let's hop right into it. This is MTM Reflections, where we debrief our segment. We talk about the guests, we talk about our own opinions, and we talk about some facts on these topics that we know are super important to you, to us, and to the culture. That was a lot, but dating in 2022 is a lot. So you know what I loved most about it? What? Is I like it when we feel comfortable enough not to agree. And I think that there were a lot of different perspectives. And that's just the goal with the podcast is there is not one like monolithic experience of a Black woman. There's not one monolithic ideal we're all striving for. And I do appreciate Coriel clarifying me pushing back. Yeah. And so I think there's space for that. And I still think sometimes the conversation around dating is a little restrictive. It's incredibly normative. But that is a perspective that she is allowed to have. For sure. And to be honest, I still really, and I said it then, I really like the idea of a sister wives club. I think it's cool. And I think there also should be a, I don't know, a brother husband <laughs> club type of thing. And in a lot of ways there there might she, be. First I don't of know, all, she but... didn't say sister wives. Is that sister wives? What is it called? Sister wives. Sister wives <laughs> is the Mormon thing where you have multiple wives. I was like, this is just getting worse. I love the idea of a sister wives club. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. Cause that's not the type of club I'm trying to join. Oh. It's actually, what does she call it? <laughs> Single wives. Single wives. Single What's wives. So funny, single husbands. What's funny to be <laughs> in my mind, those two sound exactly the same. It sounds so similar. It's it's happening when it comes to self, though, because I think right now, and perhaps why I'm like, oh, that's cool, because I think that's what I'm doing, or not even I think I know that's what I'm doing now. I'm cultivating what I'm saying, my best life, but also what I want my life to be or how what I think the steps that I need to take now in order to really like attract that fulfilling partner and attract that more fulfilling life. It's not like everything I'm doing is in preparation for a husband. (laughs) No, but I do think there are things that I need to work on. And some of those things, I'll give you a few things. For instance, I'm actively looking for a therapist. I've never really done therapy. I've done it once when I was going through this random aspect of things in my job and my life. So perhaps for a couple months, and then I just stopped. I was like, okay, I'm good. See you later. Now I actively want a therapist. So that's one. I'm working out more. I'm thinking now of going back into the dating pool and looking at it with a different lens. So there's a lot of different things that I'm doing that I think when she was talking about that single wives club, and I'm sure she led with that idea of cooking, but I do feel that too. I feel like you got to have, there's nothing wrong with having some domesticated abilities and wanting to train that up. And yeah, so there's things like that I'm actively doing, but I'm doing it on an individual level. And I think that's perhaps the difference that I'm speaking for you. So let me know if that's not it. But I think that's probably the difference that you can vibe with. (laughs) I think when she's, I think it's close to where my discomfort is, which I actually don't have the language around. But her story when she was like, I was so embarrassed that this relationship didn't work, that I was willing to leave the country. That's part of it. We so idealize a woman in partnership with a man in our society that people are so embarrassed. They're willing to fly across the earth to avoid telling people they're not in a relationship. 
they're willing to reorganize their lives. And so I think if partnership is a part of the vision you have for your life and it includes being with a man, beautiful, but I just feel like the way we prioritize it, the balance is off. There's something that was off. So I think she also admitted, she's like, oh, I was 24 and that's why we had these things on the list. But I love that you're doing it for yourself. But I think that I also want people to think about a community of care. Is your all your love, all your intimacy, all your friendship, all your community, is it going to be through this man? Or are you balancing out and prioritizing all of those relationships? What does that look like for you? It's also about choice. How can people have the healthy, happy, whole lives that they want? And I can have the help, healthy, happy, whole life that I want. So there's more than one ways to approach it. For sure. Do you think the community love or the community life that you're that you're talking about is that an either or? You know, if you have, let's say you have that husband, it's you have that not, wife, or you have that community. Yeah. Is there something more to strive for? I don't think it's an either or. I think so often it's, this is the epitome of the relationships you have in your life. This is the one, the, the, the ultimate thing that you need to be striving for. And when I think of a thriving, healthy life, it again, involves a community of care with lots of thriving, healthy relationships, including ones that provide intimacy, friendship, romance. And I don't know that we talk about it enough. We talk about, again, just being in partnership with a man. We value women who do it. We talk about women who can't do it. And I just hesitate to be a part of those conversations. I think there's just, a, and then in a short podcast, there's I some nuances you can't work. Yeah. What Demona was saying as well. And I think something else that she mentioned was the idea, obviously of her dating or and marrying someone outside of her race, someone who's not black, someone who's white. And I know we didn't, we were like, oh, okay, this is how it is. And I liked what she was saying, because I think it's true in terms of black women, oftentimes being the harborers, the, cur- the purveyors of the culture, in a sense. I, in my dating life too, has dated outside of my race actually multiple times. However, in all of those relationships, again, there was a little gnawing thought in the back of my head around, mm, I don't know if this is could be a forever thing because they're not black. Or I don't know how mm. serious this should be because they're not black. Is this, uh, am I settling because they're not black? So little things like that. And on the flip side, is that something that they're doing as well? So I, I can totally hear her on that that space. Obviously she went with it and this is her life and that she's built for herself. But I can definitely hear what she was saying when it comes to how black women oftentimes perceive these relationships online and wanting to be with a black man and having that hashtag black love experience. Where are you now in that conversation with yourself? Like in terms of <sighs> what you're looking for? It's still inconclusive. I still think my <laughs> it's still inconclusive. My preference is a black man, but I'm starting, I'm trying to understand the why a little bit more. Is it just because is mm-hmm. or is it preference good enough? You know what I mean? Sometimes with dating, we leave that as that last frontier where you don't have to be questioned for certain biases. But I wonder, am I holding myself back? Am I really holding out what could be great for me because I'm so focused, not exclusively, but obviously super focused on having that serious Black love relationship and feeling like there's a level of me that would be settling if I don't. That's interesting. I wish you you all... (laughs) I don't know. Because I've dated a black guy where I was the first black woman he dated. And that to me was just as interesting and as when I was in relationships with men who were not black. 
So I really think mm-hmm. it has a lot to do with the person. I also now I'm doing a lot of traveling and I've traveled all my life, but something's been interesting with traveling as an adult where you're just exposed to so many cultures where in the US, I think my view is narrower. There's a whole really big world with a lot of very brown and black people out there. My friend just got back from Medellin and she was like, yo, you should go see about that. So I think my (laughs) perception continues to expand. (laughs) Either way, I mean, clearly we're going to have, I feel like a part two on this dating discussion because we are still in the thick of things in a lot of ways, whether we are actively looking or just kind of like, listen, as you mentioned with Tracy, Ellis Ross, like there's someone that's additive. Oh, I, what what, am I? I see a challenge for us. A What's challenge, the challenge? <laughs> that we, I think for funsies, we both do Demona's program on September 19th. <laughs> okay. Okay. You got to tell me what this program just, is. I'm saying okay again. But <laughs> it's her, it's her dating coaching program. She mentioned that. I mean, how could she lead us astray? She's you know. true. True. So really quickly before we wrap up, what is your dream for black women this week? Yes. I guess, you know, let's keep it to dating. My dream for black women this week is for us to be loved fully, completely, and wholly in the same way that we seem to love our culture, <laughs> love our people, and and put love out in the world and the things that we create and build. So I'm just hoping I'm just hoping for a little reciprocity <laughs> when it comes to dating. We do deserve love because we we are love. What about you, Ty? What's your dream for black women this week? Yes, I do want black women to find all the love in the world, inside romantic partnerships, outside romantic partnerships, if they choose, in friendships. I just want a beautiful community of care where they feel supported and valued and respected. Yes. Um, Uh, Oh my gosh. And y'all, clearly there's love. There's a lot of love that we give on this podcast, Monuments to Me. So thank you so much for joining this week and hopefully every week. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, you know, just, just chat with us personally on our, on our socials and just let's help build this community because clearly we have the same goals. And I, and I hope we loved our guests today because they were spitting all the facts and clearly we couldn't get enough of them. Um, This might've been our longest episode yet, but it was, it was needed. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend. We'll see you next week for our next episode. Thank you for tuning into Monuments to Me. A special thank you to Revolt for creating the space for Black women to have important conversations. If you liked what you heard today, and we are so sure that you did, then subscribe, leave a review, and tell a friend to tell a friend about your new favorite podcast. Head over to Revolt.com to stay connected to all things Monuments to Me. And follow your hosts, Ty and Akila, on Instagram. The link is in the show notes. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.